Welcome to Lumpen Week in Review, the show that covers the past few weeks of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpen Radio. This week, we talk about the inauguration of President Trump, the release of Lumpen Magazine's Our First 100 Days issue, and a sampling of news, programs, and interviews with guests that were featured on the station. On January 20th, while thousands of activists were in the streets creating creative disturbances in Washington, D.C. to comment on Trump's inauguration, we launched our response to the Trump presidency in the form of a magazine and all-night broadcast. On that night, we released an issue of Lumpen Magazine themed Our First 100 Days. Essentially, it's a response to the administration's agenda during the first 100 days in power. Our contributors give multiple perspectives on what we expect from the Trump cabal and how we can counter the agendas that are being shoved down our collective gullet. The magazine is available for free in over 100 retail locations in Chicago. You can also read the publication at lumpenmagazine.org. We asked one of the magazine's contributors to read a portion of their work featured in the issue. This is a piece by our friend Rebecca on how to survive a four-year winter. An excerpt from Coping with a Four-Year Winter by Rebecca Ridge from Lumpen 129, read by Rebecca Ridge. Layer, layer, layer. Invest in a heavy-duty winter coat, scarves, and thermal underwear, and gloves are a must, too. Many even wear a three-hold balaclava, similar to that worn by the punk rock protesters' pussy riot. Get one before we follow France's lead on banned face coverings. In fact, just wear all of your clothes. Buy more clothes and wear them. Buy as many warm clothes, imported food goods, and materials as you can. American-made goods and clothes are favored but can be expensive. Come this winter, it looks like the vast availability of foreign imports may become a luxury of the past. The soon-to-be Cabinet of Economic Advisers, the Advisor on Regulatory Reform, the Secretary of Trade and Industrial Policy, and the Secretary of the Treasury are comprised almost entirely of corporate investors and unqualified billionaires who plan to implement severe trade restrictions that could curtail the U.S. economy and increase the cost of goods and services. I'm sure two Goldman Sachs executives, the chief executive of ExxonMobil, an 80-year-old corporate raider with no government experience, and other members of the 1% will have our national economy's best interest at heart. Also on January 20th, Lumpen Radio presented its Inauguration Day program inspired by a song. Basically, the coverage consisted of playing six hours of cover versions of the Rolling Stones' Sympathy for the Devil. The program was conceived by Batted Sports website founder Richard Holland, and the diversity and range of the covers underscored the surreality of the day. These are the Trump Diaries. On day zero, January 20th, Donald Trump is sworn in as the 45th President of the United States. In a combative inaugural address, Trump coins the ominous phrase, American carnage, and in echoes of 1930s Germany, says he will put America first. The entire speech is aimed at his base and makes no attempt to unite the United States. Also, the White House website is scrubbed of information on civil rights, climate change, LGBT rights, healthcare, immigration, education, and the Iran deal. The new site now reflects just six issues. America First Energy Plan replaces climate change. Trump's first action is to sign an executive order undermining Obamacare. Day one, June 21st. 
Donald Trump awoke Saturday after his inauguration to media coverage that was distinctly unflattering. Enraged by the fact that the crowds attending his inauguration were far smaller than those that attended Obama's, he ordered his new press secretary to deliver a series of lies to stun White House journalists. In that conference, a visibly nervous Sean Spicer gave out erroneous figures to support Trump's contention that his inauguration was the biggest ever, then departed without taking questions. Trump then unleashed a remarkably bitter attack in the media covering him, accusing them of fabricating a rift between the new president and the intelligence community. Trump, in fact, had referred to the intelligence community as Nazis just one week prior. In the backdrop, millions of people around the globe demonstrated against Trump as part of the Women's March. 250,000 people shut down Chicago, some 400,000 climbed Manhattan, and the main march in D.C. drew 500,000, which is three times the number that saw Trump's inauguration. Day 2, January 22nd. Trump's top aide, Kellyanne Conway, said that Trump would not release his tax returns. She said, quote, we litigated this during the election. People don't care. In fact, polls show that 74% of Americans want Trump to release his tax returns. Conway also coined the memorable phrase, alternative facts, in an attempt to defend Sean Spicer's press remarks the day prior. Day 3, January 23rd. Donald Trump met with congressional leaders for the first time as president and shocked them by spending a significant part of the meeting arguing that he would have won the popular vote had, quote, millions of illegals, end quote, not voted in the election. This claim, which is a lie, first circulated on Alex Jones's InfoWars show. Jones is a notorious conspiracy theorist and crank who once claimed that Clinton and Obama were demons. The Justice Department also announced that it will defend Donald Trump in a suit that charges Trump has violated the annulments clause. The lawsuit asserts that Trump is in violation of the Constitution as his hotels and properties accept money from foreign governments. Trump also announced the withdrawal from the Trans-Pacific Trade Partnership. That deal, which was never ratified by Congress, was effectively dead in 2015. However, it was a symbolic dismissal of President Barack Obama. Day 4, January 24th. Mike Pompeo is confirmed to lead the CIA. Trump also orders a broad hiring freeze across the federal government, accepting the military and public safety. Trump also forbids the use of outside contractors to make up staff numbers. Trump is insistent on shrinking the size of the federal workforce. Trump also decides to retain FBI head James Comey. Comey is having to lead an investigation into whether or not Russian money and contacts were used in Trump's campaign victory. Trump also inked an order allowing the Keystone and Dakota Access pipelines to go forward. The pipelines, which are the subject of massive protests by Native tribal leaders and environmentalists, now may be built after President Barack Obama killed them in 2015. Rebelling from a gag order that Trump put down, National Park Service branches began tweeting out climate change facts in a brazen show of dissent. And Sean Spicer stunned reporters again, telling them his boss in fact truly believed that two to three million illegal immigrants had committed voter fraud. When pressed by reporters on the subject, with one pointing out that if this were true, it would be the biggest election scandal in the history of the nation, Spicer replied that the new administration was going to investigate. In a bizarre coda, the makers of the ice cream Dippin' Dots extended an olive branch to Spicer. Spicer, for reasons unknown, has been intensely critical of the ice cream on social media. Day 5, January 25. Donald Trump signs an order to build a wall on the Mexican border. The same document also takes aim at sanctuary cities, banning them from receiving federal funds, while also banning Syrian refugees from entering the United States. This document is also the first step against a bipartisan agreement to remove the some 11 million undocumented aliens in the USA. The document also appears to be a blanket ban on Muslims entering the country. Trump, as Sean Spicer promised, calls for a major investigation into voter fraud, despite the fact that even his own legal team says there is no evidence of any fraud. The investigation adds to the sense of chaos around Trump and his incoming administration, which has yet to see many of its nominees confirmed. 
Trump also signed a document that was the first step in withdrawing from the United Nations. Trump campaigned on a promise to withdraw from many international organizations. He may also withdraw from the Paris Treaty on Climate Change. Trump also tells reporters that torture works, and he would approve it, but would listen to members of his cabinet. Trump is also expected to sign an order allowing the CIA to reopen so-called black sites where torture could be undertaken. And finally, in a heated spate of late-night tweeting, Trump says he will send the feds into Chicago to, quote, stop the carnage. Chicago has been under siege with shootings and homicides, but Trump's tweets came after a Bill O'Reilly segment on Fox News about the city of Chicago. Mayor Rahm Emanuel pushes back force flings that the city not only does not need federal troops, but will remain a sanctuary city in defiance of the new order signed by Trump. Day 6, January 26th. Donald Trump attends a retreat for Republican lawmakers. Trump announced plans to make Mexico pay for his border wall by imposing a 20% tax on all imports into the United States from Mexico, raising billions of dollars. The 20% tax on annual Mexican imports would raise $10 billion a year. It would require congressional approval. As a consequence, the president of Mexico cancels his scheduled meeting with Trump. A top advisor to Trump calls the American press, quote, the opposition party, and adds the media, quote, should keep its mouth shut. The attack, delivered by nationalist Stephen Bannon, says that news organizations have been humiliated by the election. Bannon says, quote, the media here is the opposition party, not the Democrats. The media is the opposition party. They do not understand this country. They do not understand why Donald Trump is the president of the United States. And in an aftermath, the State Department's entire senior level of management abruptly quits. It is unclear whether the senior Foreign Service officers resigned in protest, as the Washington Post has reported, or were asked to leave by the new administration, as CNN reports. Regardless, the departures are considered crippling. And the doomsday clock moves closer to midnight. This is the closest the clock has been to midnight since 1953, the year after the United States and the Soviet Union conducted competing tests of the hydrogen bomb. The clock sits at two and a half minutes to midnight. Trump's approval rating sits at 36% this week. And now, Lumpen's own Scotty McNeese presents Sounds of Resistance and Hope, recorded in our nation's capital during Donald Trump's inauguration day. I'm with WLPN Chicago. Do you want to say a few words for us on the radio? Sure. What brings you here today? I'm here to just come out and, and express my dissent, um, exercise my constitutional rights to assemble. Um, I, I just want to be visible. I'm a black gay woman um, who feels completely unsupported and completely ignored. And I just want to be here and I want to be visible. You know, I want to I want to unite with other people like me, other people who agree that Trump is a problem on so many levels. So it ju it just means a lot for me to be out here and just to show my dissent. a responsibility, I feel that it is a mandate. It is a mandate that was addressed upon us when we decided to pick up the, the, uh, uh, the paintbrush, uh, pen to paper, sing a song, write a play, musical, poem. And I believe that if we have been given that talent to do those things and to use our uh, art to authentically express ourselves and identify with what's going on. Uh, within the global consciousness, I believe that we all show to use that same gusto and power to write policy and to ensure that we are fully protected and our audiences are fully protected and our families are fully protected. I'm here with my sister. Um, I'm a pastor. Um, I'm also a chaplain. 
and um, I'm here to protest the incoming, what I see as a, actually a regime, and um, I'm here to um, stand with my brothers and sisters um, for the America that we know is just and equal and fair, and it represents everybody, not just the elite. And um, so, where else is the right place to be? I'll tell you, we have a little uh, something that we do here in the Black Lives Matter movement when we're on the streets in D.C. We, we say, when they say get back, we say, they say get back, we say fight back. I have some um, colleagues that are um, all here and gathering. Uh, we're going to be doing worship and things like that. So there's a whole faction of clergy, uh, UCC, MCC, DOC, UU, etc. are all gathering, Methodists, whatever. Uh, we're all gathering together to uh, have also our statement. Rather than the evangelical fundamental being the voice that you hear, we're trying to get the other kind of voice. And percussion is definitely one of the instruments that definitely frees us. So than anything, really educating other artists of their, the full power of their influence so that we do not uh, take this as an act of defense, but we become offensive. We get on the offense, we write policy, we go to our politicians, we push through the agenda and to make sure that we still have that freedom of free, uh, speech through our art to speak truth to power. Again, my name is Marion Gray Hopkins, and I am one of the co-founders of the Coalition of Concerned Mothers. We are a sorority of sisters across this country that did not have to pledge to be a part of it. This is an organization that no one wants to be a part of, and thus we fight. We will continue to fight. I want Donald Trump and his new administration to know that we are bringing back law and order. We refused to step back. And until our dying days as mothers that have lost children to the senseless violence in our community, we're stepping up against the NRA to say that we want sensible gun laws, stricter gun laws in our communities. And we're not stopping until we get it. I 
tell you this, if it wasn't for America letting these debts slide, we would not have Donald Trump. We told them for years, America was a racist place and nobody listened. So you now you know what the America got? America got its medicine and its medicine is sitting in the White House. Now America will know what it feel like for the people it trusts not to represent them. You understand what I'm saying? Black people have built this country and they treat us like we don't belong here. Guess what? Now everybody gets to feel that from Donald Trump. Fight the power. Fight the power. Fight the power. Because the same police that kill black folks every 28 hours in this country are the same police that were spraying protesters at Standing Rock in freezing temperatures, brutalizing those protesters. They're also the same police that facilitate the millions of deportations that we've seen in this country.
a racial fight. This is a fight against good versus evil. That's really what we're fighting against. So we really have to continue to unify and to unite. president is everything that repulses me and stands for everything I am against. So um, I take it quite personally um, because it, it not only affects people that I love and people that I care about, but it, it, it affects me as well because we're all one. On Saturday the 21st, we were excited to have the youth from Yolo Cali Arts Reach live in our studios. Students from Yolo Cali produce the weekly show, What's Up, that airs every Saturday at noon. Topics range from gender roles to Harry Potter. This week, the youth talked about their feelings on the Trump inauguration and its impact on their lives. What's up, guys? You're listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Studio B. Yesterday, Trump officially had his inauguration ceremony and took office. The multiple protests and negative internet reactions, however, have shown a great discontent about the 45th president of the U.S., and the possibilities about what could happen next are unknown. Here we have Brian, Emilio, and Jackie, and they're going to be sharing with us some personal thoughts about the inauguration of yesterday with Trump taking office. So what's up, guys? Yo. Yo Hi. <laughs> so give us a little, like talk about this what do you guys think what's going on how are you taking it first of all i know i mean it was sad for some people and uh i know i know a few i know a few people just went just because they wanted to presence inauguration not because they voted for trump but they just wanted to see it happening you know like to see like the sadness they feel you get me mm -hmm. yeah well i think for me it hit mostly like um home because I'm a reproduction of um, two immigrants. And I think it was very sad for, like, like experiencing this. And I don't know. I think it was, I don't know. Yeah, it was very sad um, feeling. Do you have, like, are you scared for your parents? Um, yeah, I think it was mostly my mom. Because, well, when we found out that he won, she didn't know because she was on her way to work. And I had woke up like at 5 a.m. in the morning. And my my best friend, I got a text from her. And she said, oh, dude, Trump won. And I was like, at first I thought it was a joke. And I called her. And it was morning. But she was still up. She said she couldn't sleep after that. And she's like, he won. And I couldn't believe it. And I was like, are you serious? I'm like, you're not playing with me? She's like, no, I'm not. And then I, I was looking through my notifications. And I, I got off. Um, 
Fox News um, notification mm -hmm. that said Trump um, wins um, the election. And I think it was like my heart started beating really fast. And I called my mom like right away. And she said, I called her and I'm like, mom, guess what? And she's like, what? And I'm like, Trump won. And she stood in silence because she's like, really? And I was like, yes. And then she just, she didn't know what to say to me. So I think she stood in a moment of like shock. And it was, I didn't know, I felt like, I could hear her breathe really loud, and I, like, in the moment, I felt like crying, but I was like, no, I'm not going to cry because she's going to work, but she said that after that, after I clicked, that she's, she um stood on the side of the road, and she said that she was thinking a lot, and she said after that, I, I didn't feel right, like, I didn't want to go work anymore, and I think I was like, I think it hurts, like, seeing my mom and, like, hearing her say that, because I'm like, my mom is a very strong woman, but for her, but, like, this really just, like, it, I got to see something that I didn't see of her, and it was just something that was crazy. Yeah. What about you, Amelia? Well, for me, um, I was just, like, now believe it that he won, because I actually didn't see the, the, what's it called? What, yesterday, but he was not the presidential because I was at school but I see like uh, most of the people were like trying to not get like didn't believe that so honestly like in my opinion I think I feel like it was really sad because yesterday here in Chicago um for example my school Juarez um they organized uh, a, a march right a protest and they were gonna go to downtown and you know it took a lot of, how would you say, like, it took a big toll on my school, personally. Uh, I saw a lot of my friends who were undocumented, they were, like, scared, you know? And I feel like, I felt like that took a toll on me. So, yesterday, a lot of undocumented students went because, you know, primarily because of that. And then with the pro-life thing that Trump wants to take the birth pill like wants to like not legalize it anymore it just it, it was really sad seeing how many students they just ditched and they didn't like go to the protest they because in my school ninth and tenth period you could like exit the school and you wouldn't be stopped you wouldn't be penalized and you could go to the to the protest but it was really sad seeing how like many of them like ditched and like some of them went home they, because like of important reasons. They didn't take advantage of the moment yeah. to make something right out of it. And, like, there was, like, many that they did go for a good cause. They did go to stand up, to, to speak their minds. And so, like, shout out to you guys because that shows a great determination from your part. But then there were others who just, you know, they were being really aggressive. They were, like, cursing Trump out. And that's just... It just makes, makes that's, it worse. That's really immature. Yeah, it's yeah. not going to solve anything. And it doesn't look good from our like part either. Yeah, it just as, shows that we're really ignorant about it. As a community that most is mostly of Hispanics and Blacks, I feel like that reflects. It uh, looks bad in on a, us in yeah. a bad way. They're making us seem like really enemies here. Yeah. It's, it's not like, I mean, I know some people take action like actually they exaggerate, mm -hmm. but like there's other ways to do it. You just speak up. No, no violence, I guess. Yeah. As cliche as it sounds, violence is never the key. 
and I feel like the youth should know that they should like reflect on that a bit more I just whatever he's gonna do I hope he like at least becomes a bit more human about like the issues that are going on right now and like takes into consideration our voices because it's not up to him and he has to like you know let go of his ego sometimes because now he's not just thinking for himself but he's thinking for a country so yeah and um i actually made an piece recently and it's called the uh, presidential election of 2020 it's a parody uh of how like how the next uh election could could go it's my intention was to be funny uh no one get offended i hope and um let's go check it out all right Attention, attention, we are sorry to interrupt your favorite TV show to broadcast this important global news. We have chosen the new candidates for the presidential election of the year 2020. But before we announce the candidate, we want to remind you all that the new first air bottles are in sale in every store for the price of $4.99. So get your own and get a breathe of that clean air. Back with the topic, after announcing a candidate, they will have a few words about the presidential campaign. Now, let's start with the chosen candidate. First, we have Mr. DJ Kelly. Another one. That's what everyone will say after realizing they are having another good president. For my campaign, I will guarantee everyone another chance to succeed in life. The second candidate is Nicki Minaj. For my campaign, I will pass the new bill called Freedom of Twerk. Now everyone will have the right to twerk as much as they want without being judged. Doozes. And lastly, we have Harambe the Gorilla. That's right. It's me, Harambe. For my campaign, I will pass the law, no shooting, at a gorilla who tried to protect a child, but got misunderstood by ignorant people that thought it was hurting the poor kid. Fantastic. It seems that every one of them have good things to offer for our beautiful country. And this concludes the announcement of the new candidates for the presidential election of 2020. We'll see you at 10 p.m. with the daily news report. This was your favorite news reporter, just in case. Have a good day, everyone. WLPN-LP Lumpen Radio is based in the gallery of the Co-Prosperity Sphere, and periodically the space holds art exhibitions open to the public. Feeding Time opened on Friday, January 27th and runs through February 12th. The exhibit features the work of six artists who explore human nature in relation to ego, destructive instincts, sexual energy, and loss of self. The exhibition tackles what's important, people, what they do, how they treat each other, what they think about, and what's left over after they die. One of the participants in the show, artist Tom Terlemke, was in the studio this past week on the King Hippo show, and he had him on talking about what it means to be an artist. 
This is QC, Quality Control, with your host, King Hippo. And uh, in the studio with me tonight, I have a very special guest, artist Tom Trelemke. How's it going, Tom? Good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming out and making uh, the trip from Indiana. So tonight we're going to talk about uh, a bunch of things uh, that have been on my mind uh, since... Uh, the new administration has been um, mapping itself out, uh, mainly uh, creativity. Uh, so I wanted to uh, bring uh, the person I consider uh, to be one of the most creative individuals I, I know uh, to come out and talk about it. Um, I, I, every time I hang out with Tom and speak to Tom, I feel better. So I... Uh, wanted him to do that for the city of Chicago. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, you didn't have to say that creative part. Anyway, I get a little embarrassed. Well, so, but anyway, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. The uh, change of administration coming up is quite a shock for a lot of people, I think, right? Yeah, and actually that's what I think uh, started the conversation um, with Linda to have you come on the show. Um, I was getting a lot of comments um, from both visual artists and musicians and people in general um, that create. Um, they said that they felt like they couldn't make anything right now in this climate. Um, and they felt like uh, they had uh, kind of the air taken away from them. They felt deflated. Uh, so I wanted to, you know, talk to you about that, see if, how you're doing, first of all, and then uh, second of all, I don't know, just uh, talk about, you know, what an artist should be doing in this uh, sort of climate. Um, you know, what's is art relevant during st- times like this? Um, is it important? Is it as important as uh, what's going on? Uh, things like this. Yeah. Well, it certainly is important. You know, you, sh- you should always just keep making art if you if you can. You know. I mean, you know, if you can uh, just stay alive, it's great to keep making art. I think, uh, you know, I happen to be reading this book right now about uh, France during the uh, Franco-Prussian War and all the, like, Impressionists are making their paintings during that period of time. And France was just devastated by by, uh, the the Prussians uh, and also Civil Wars broke out at the same time. And all these artists are, like, seeing all this, like, mayhem in the streets and all that stuff. And they're just doing everything they can to stay alive, to find food and all of that stuff. And they're like still trying to paint, still trying to figure out how they're going to paint, where they're going to move to paint. Some of them had to go to war. Some of them were killed during the war and imprisoned and all of that stuff. And frankly, you know, I mean, things are crazy here, but we have it quite quite easy here. You know, like if those artists can make that those works of art during that period of time, we certainly can make art. And it, and it really does help all the way around. It helps everybody. It helps you cope with it. It helps the people. Um, you can attack it straight on, the ideas, like Goya did and stuff like that. Or you can uh, uh, just look around and just paint things that are going on, you know, your response to society and what's happening. Um, all of those things help during periods like this. And so just... Uh I think we were talking about this upstairs a little bit. Uh, you know, art artists coming from 
the general public coming from general culture uh, coming out of do artists owe anything to the general public um well i can't really speak for other people you know how they feel inside um i feel a great i feel like i owe the general public a lot just in general i mean for for one thing the general public feeds my work i mean i i paint a lot of times about the general public and um i feel that you know the um uh you know an artist will spend their spend their life you know observing nature observing people looking watching seeing getting out there having experiences and and all of those those sorts of things and one special thing that artists do i think is that they're able to um like transform or translate ideas and emotions and feelings all of those things into a tangible form which which would be art and then how an average let's say i don't really like that word but like somebody who's not involved in the art world okay um benefits from that or enjoys that let's take your average person let's say let's say it's a worker in an office that's doing data entry all the time or whatever and they don't have really creative leanings or anything like that what an, what an artist does is gives that person uh, like a time frame of creativity that they can observe and, and look at. Like, for example, if it's, a, if it's a movie, it might be an hour and a half. If it's a theater performance, it might be, might be an hour. It, a, a piece of music might be six, seven, eight, eight minutes, okay? That's all like really condensed art that an artist during their lifetime has been focusing and condensing these ideas about art and society into that condensed little block, and a person can enjoy that because they don't, frankly, have the uh, um, the time maybe to put it all together in their own head or the desire or the creativity to do that. And artists are inclined to do that, and that's that's a way to give back to society what you might like. What I think that I maybe owe society should artists be actively engaging with public right now or should you know to each his own well to each his own really i mean i can only speak for myself i'm totally like that but but yeah yeah you should engage with with public i mean uh isolation and separation breeds contempt and breeds uh not understanding of your fellow man however different they may appear you know you find out through familiarity and uh, being with people that, oh my goodness, I'm really just like that person, regardless of, you know, they maybe do something different for a living or they may look different or whatever. But if you're hanging out with them in society, you're going to, that's better. How about the hows versus the whys in art? And um, what is more important? Um, well, they're, they're sort of equally important. I Maybe uh, <clears throat> like why being what, what your intention is as, as an artist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Being, being <clears throat> able to execute versus why you yeah. even execute t- to begin with. Yeah, I mean, why stands right, in the, right, at, the f- right at the forefront. I mean, it's, it sets your, uh, your moral code or something as an artist, you know. Um, you know that you're after something that's that's important, or or you or at least you're trying to 
or achieve something that's important or it's going to make a contribution to society. Um, there's, uh, I mean, all of the great artists, they've offered something up that I can't imagine even the world being without these artists. You know, you can even go from a long time ago, Da Vinci, his incredible exp- explorative mind in the sciences and the arts and architecture and all of that stuff that showed us right there that a human being can be interested in all of those things and an endeavor like that is incredible um and then you go to somebody like goya or hogarth who is kind of like shakespeare in a way they're able to analyze human uh relationships and the dynamics of the human mind as they relate to how they treat one another and all of those sorts of things and that's all illuminated in paintings for people to see and then you look at them you're like oh my goodness that's kind of like me I see myself pictured right there Um, and then there's you know somebody like Hopper who was able to sort of prophesize the sort of uh, loneliness and vacuousness of of uh modern contemporary living before it was like popular to analyze it like that and um so like in van gogh i can't imagine like even looking at a pair of old shoes or sunflowers or starry night uh, i'd look at it different now that i've seen those paintings so it's, it's worthwhile every tuesday at 4 p.m radio free bridgeport with john daly talks about the news of the day and interviews local figures from around chicago Radio Free Bridgeport also features an occasional satirical report, Size Matters, from Kyle Seismankowski and John Piotrowski. The reports often cover the goings-on of Undertown, a secret community that resides beneath the neighborhood of Bridgeport. Here is an entry where Kyle hands out file cabinets to protesters at the anti-Trump rally last Friday. Size Matters, Size Matters, with Kyle Seismankowski. Welcome to the show. I'm standing outside the co-prosperity sphere here on Morgan waiting for Kyle. And this episode will be... Petrowski, come here. What's up? Oh, come here. Okay, oh, yeah. park the truck. Don't park. There's a railroad tie in the back. Pull it out and slide it in front of the back tires. It'll come to a full stop. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, serious carbon monoxide stuff going on yep. with this truck. <laughs> That's not good. I know I I know I kept falling asleep in front of red lights. Whose pickup truck is this anyway? That's a friend of mine's. I mean, what are you, what were you doing with it? I've been delivering filing cabinets all over the city. Why filing cabinets? Because it's the safest way for people to keep the facts safe from alternative fact people. Oh, you mean like Documents, birth certificates, passports, stuff Facts like that. Facts of life, conversations, photographs, doodles, recipes, mm. all things. See, filing cabinets mm. can't crash or be hacked or manipulated by anything that isn't a crowbar or the key that opens it. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't a hard drive do the job? Hard drive? Are you nuts? Uh, do you have any ideas how easy it is for someone with advanced computer knowledge to get inside of one of those things? <laughs> hey, Janice Joplin, I bet all the recipes that Mars Brewing has are on some dumb computer somewhere. Is yeah. it any surprise at all? That we live in an age Kyle, of an just, orange man and the Patriots cheating uh, their way into another Super Bowl. The whole society is becoming undertow. Yeah, I know. It does feel that way. I just, at least the Women's March was a positive example where the nation can go, you know? It was more than positive. It saved my life. How do you mean? Uh, the carbon monoxide leak in the truck nearly killed me a bunch of times. I was constantly being resuscitated. So you were in the march? I was delightfully trapped in it, actually. I was 
doing my part and handing out filing cabinets. That's awesome, Kyle. I mean, not very cool for the environment, but your best effort is good enough, as always. You know, I, I don't want to ruin the show or nothing, but I gotta ask, why do you sound so depressed today? Well, an overwhelming sense of dread. Uh, you know what? There's, there's no time to wallow. You can donate, you can volunteer, you can show up and get involved. You can make America not like Undertown. Right. Now repeat after me. Make America not like Undertown. Make America not like Undertown. Make America not like Undertown. Make okay. We should write a song. Yeah, okay. What's the best nation? Donation, as it was famously said. Now, I do a lot of things for people, and I don't just write songs for all you jokers out there. Thanks for tuning in to Lumpen Week in Review. The Lumpen Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is edited and engineered by Logan Bay. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. Lumpen Radio Sting by Dan Jugal. Voiceovers by Ed Marzuski, Jamie Trecker, Logan Bay, and Shanna Van Volt. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Lumpen Radio broadcasts on 105.5 FM in the Chicago area and worldwide via lumpenradio.com.